Hi, this is Hope. This is Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to Nomad Athlete Radio as we kick off episodes 101 through 200. Doug, that was a little bit out of control, our, our episode. My mom listened to it, heard my dirty jokes. Oh and no. Yeah, so now I'm wishing we would have uh, played it closer to the, to the vest on that one. <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> I don't know. She was just saying that some were funny and then she did, the, you know, the Brazil nuts thing, she, she had no, no real comment on. <laughs> we, uh, we got a tweet about it. We, I got a couple tweets from women about it, which oh, is really? weird. Yeah, so that's, that's a little odd. But, uh, but good. Glad people were entertained by that. <laughs> uh, anyway, on a more serious note, we have gotten a lot of responses to our survey. It's nomadathlete.com slash survey. It is just for podcast listeners. So if you are a podcast listener and you want to help shape what we do and what we talk about for the next 100 episodes uh, and weigh in on this potential live event, Matt and Doug extravaganza that we might be doing, then go there. Nomadathlete.com slash survey. Think of it as a 100th episode present to us. Uh, and that's not much of a present, but but we would definitely appreciate the feedback. It's a present. It is a present. You're right. It's a big present. No, what I mean is that's not a, a big amount for somebody to do as a present. You know, it'd be uh, very easy for someone to go fill that survey out. It's only five questions. They're super simple. Um, so I don't even think people should feel like they're giving a present if they do that. <laughs> I don't think they deserve to feel like they're gifting oh, us. Oh, man. Anything. You're not very generous today, Matt. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, it's one of, you remember I said some days I drink that second cup of coffee? <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now because it's just one of those days for me. Uh-huh. All right. Well. Anyway. But anyway, we've got uh, questions to cover. Today's episode is a Q&A episode, and we have called through thousands of reader questions, listener questions, to find the best seven. Doug, that took you like 10 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It took me about 10 minutes. It wasn't okay. thousands, but we do get uh, questions regularly, and we have been kind of lumping them together in these type of Q&A episodes. So this will be the second one, or maybe the third one we're doing, um, and and it should be fun because these questions, I think, are, are common and ones that everyone can benefit from. Yeah, I think so, too. We get more questions now than we can answer, especially the ones where they are asking for advice. Like we, of course we answer customer service stuff and all that, but when people want to know, should they be eating this or this? Unfortunately, I just don't have time to answer those by email anymore. Uh, but when we figure out from lots of emails that certain ones are popular and people want to know this answer, then that's a really good candidate for a podcast question. So that's what we're doing today. Um, Oh, we should mention one more thing about the survey. People Already from the responses that are in, it's clear that people want more interviews, which I'm glad to hear because I, I mean, I don't know, they're they're fun to do. They're a little bit extra work, but it's always good to connect with new people. And I had kind of been under the impression that people just wouldn't want interviews. I don't know why. Maybe because me as a podcast listener don't really ever like listening to interviews that much. Um, but I like talking to new people. So I'm excited about that. We already have two that are in the works. Um, so that's going to be good. Yeah, that will be fun. Yes. Don't want to give those names just yet because you never know. They might fall through, but uh, I am particularly excited about them. Now, I was particularly relieved to hear that, that people didn't necessarily want less Doug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody explicitly wrote that in, yeah. in the things that they wanted. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's, That's good. Right. All right. So here we go. Uh, first one's from Timothy. It says, my wife and I are on a path for better health the past year and have done well 
with this basic diet that a nutritionist had set up for us. Uh, now looking for the next step, and they want to know, are there some, e- or this is Tim and his wife, want to know, are there easy ways to prepare and get raw food items that don't take a lot of time to shop for and aren't hard to do, basically? So that's a good question, Tim. And, you know, I think we talk a lot about raw foods and their value and their importance. Um, but if you're not a raw foodist where that's all that you eat, you really don't have to do the weird stuff. And I mean, granted, there are plenty of weird raw things you can go and get. There are different ways to do raw. You can do the thing where you're making lots of your own food and you're really into the food preparation and you're dehydrating things and you're making breads out of nuts and who knows what else and, and all kinds of things, some of which are good for you probably, many of which are good for you. And I'm sure there are a few things that are technically raw but aren't really very useful for your body. Um, then there's even within the fully raw community, there's like the fruitarian thing that we talk about all the time or 80-10-10. That has almost no preparation. Uh, they certainly eat some exotic fruits, but you don't have to. They do that because they like them. So you could eat, I don't know, 30 bananas a day is one of their kind of, I don't know, subgroups. And I'm not going to say that's what I think is the healthiest way to do it. Um, but, you know, that's a way to eat raw without doing any preparation whatsoever other than peeling bananas. So the way that I like to, to do raw food is really just in the most, uh, I don't know, practical way that I can because I have two kids and do this work and I'm not about to go spend all my time preparing crazy raw meals. So, uh, you know, grabbing, having fruit as snacks and always having tons of fresh fruit on hand. So we got, we kind of picked up that habit from doing the Woodstock fruit festival and being among the fruitarian community for a little while. Uh, and that is one thing that stuck making sure you have the giant salad or even two sometimes as part of your day. Maybe it's your thing. One of my favorite tips that I've mentioned recently is while you're cooking your dinner, uh, have the salad then serve it then to everybody because everyone's kind of hungry then and they want to eat anything. So if you give somebody a salad, then they're going to eat it versus if you put the salad on the table and then two minutes later dinner shows up and it's hot and good and smells good. People aren't going to eat as much of the salad. It's just, just how it works. So for me, that's how it is. I kind of, I like to work those raw foods into my diet. Raw nuts and seeds are another one. Uh, make sure I have those all the time and just have, have gotten in the habit of enjoying those instead of requiring that they be roasted and salted, which is how I used to be. So that's, I mean, that's how I do raw food. I just use it as snacks and kind of the ways, the same raw foods that people who eat a regular healthy diet would eat rather than trying to do the raw food thing. Uh, So I don't know. Doug, do you have any take on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, not really. I think that for me, smoothies and and salads are probably my biggest source of raw foods for sure. And then just fruit, one-off fruit snacks. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's not very often I'll cook, unless it's a big salad, it's not very often I'll cook a raw meal or prepare a raw meal. Right. Do you ever do, you ever do that? Do you ever do like raw raw pasta or anything like that? No, not like for a dinner. It, uh, often I will do raw breakfast because it'll be smoothie and which is fruits and nuts and seeds pretty much. Uh-huh. So that's that's always raw. And then I will often do the big lunchtime salad and sometimes I will put in the extra effort to make it raw, meaning just get raw tahini which of course is not sunflower seed paste but sesame seed paste uh and you know avoid the beans which i would usually put on a salad the cooked beans uh i don't know if i'm in a mood where i want to do that then i'll go to that effort uh but usually it's just a giant salad and i'll put uh, half of a can of cooked beans on there and use just regular old cooked tahini or roasted tahini in my salad dressing so no we we don't make like raw dinner except for when we were doing the the 80 10 10 thing and having fun with that right so, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I hope, Tim, that you can sense that it's not a hard or stressful thing in our lives to be eating these raw foods. And I think about 50% of your vegetables should be raw. Most of your fruit's going to be raw, and I think that's a perfectly good way to do it. Uh, I do think it's good to have to have your the nuts that you eat be raw. I think really a lot of the fats are destroyed when you cook them, and a lot of the nutritional benefit is lost. Um, however, most of the studies that I've seen that talk about the longevity benefits of nuts, uh, and there are many, they don't ever specify raw nuts and seeds. So it seems that, that those benefits are still there even when they're cooked. Um, but perhaps for a shorter term thing, like you know, being a vegan, being concerned about omega-3s, I'd make sure you get them in a raw form, at least some of them. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that he puts at the end of this question uh, is how to shop without going to the ends to the ends of the earth to find the ingredients. And I'm not sure if he's talking about, you know, running all over town to find all these exotic ingredients or whether he wants, prefers to use local ingredients. And we'll say that, that probably outside of the summer, it's much harder to find good raw in local ingredients for most people. Yes, I would definitely agree with you there, especially if you're talking about, I don't know, like the the raw and tropical fruits that just come from other places, right? I mean, you can... I don't know. You can you can get raw of the foods that come that are that are local to you in the winter. Um, they're just not very good, right, right? Right. I mean, it's I can only eat so much. I don't know winter squash or whatever, yeah. whatever is local to the non tropical areas. Right. Right. You know, and during the summer you have melons and you have all these other fruits that are delicious, but you're not going to have those local. You're not going to yep. have local versions sure. of those foods during the right. winter. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, on a sort of related note, let's jump down to a question from Ian. Uh, and he said, hey, Matt, just one question. You mentioned that you eat a variety of nuts but not peanuts or without peanuts. And I think I did say that I have this trail trail mix that I sometimes eat and it doesn't happen to contain peanuts. Why not peanuts, he wants to know. Um, I wouldn't say it's that I'm deliberately avoiding peanuts or that I think they are bad for you. It's just that – so I was just talking about the benefits of, of raw foods and specifically specifically raw nuts. Uh, and kind of that they, they get you know, some of their health healthy properties are destroyed when they are cooked. Uh, peanuts specifically cannot be consumed or shouldn't be consumed raw. They have this toxin mold type thing that uh, apparently can be very dangerous. So you don't often, I don't know if you ever would see raw peanuts in a store, uh, but I would not eat them if you did. So um, when I am getting a raw trail mix and kind of making that part of my thing is that I've, I've worked up to the point where I can tolerate a raw nut mix and be happy with that and that took some work because like i said i really did used to have that much saltier palate uh and just not really like nuts if they weren't cooked or roasted so you know if i'm going to go to that that length i just went all the way and didn't keep eating peanuts because peanuts need to be roasted so that was really the only reason um i haven't specifically read about peanuts i don't often see them mentioned among other nuts as a super healthy thing to eat i don't think that means they're bad for you i think it just means that Nuts are so good for you and do pack all this really good stuff that, I don't know, the peanut doesn't seem to do that. And maybe because it's it has to be roasted. Uh, so I've always sort of left it out of, of my nut consumption. When you when you get a nut butter, do you get almond or peanut? We almost always get almond butter. And why is uh, that? Just the exact same reason. And, and not, we don't always get the almond butter raw, but we do sometimes. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Like if you're comparing roasted almonds to roasted peanuts – I haven't really. I don't know the answer to that comparison. I, my guess is that the almond butter is going to have more of good micronutrients in it, or the almonds will have more than peanuts will, even if they're both roasted. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. 
Yeah. The other day I was at the grocery store and uh, we almost always get almond butter as well. And I was went to go grab it and right next to it was the organic peanut butter. And it was it was like a third of the price. I didn't realize how much more expensive the almond butter is. Yeah, I mean, definitely is, is cheaper to do peanut butter for sure. But once you start caring about the natural peanut butter, it starts getting more expensive. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. But we it's almond butter prices are all over the place. You can find some varieties of it that are thirteen ninety nine for a pound of it and you can find others that sometimes are six or seven dollars yeah so all right uh good enough about nuts <laughs> so next we've got we had a couple of them about soy i'm just going to read one but uh ann and jane both submitted soy questions uh let's choose jane's just because it's shorter uh she said i thought i've heard somewhere that soy and soybean products like tempeh are not healthy for you for some reason why do I have this belief? Is it something to do with GMO? Don't know. Can't recall. Is this anything you can shed light on? Uh, yes, we do have some opinions about soy. So uh, I don't believe that soy is bad for you. There's an article that we've referenced several times. It's from our friend Leo at Zen Habits. It is at zenhabits.net slash soy. And uh, it's called Finally the Truth About Soy. And Leo did a bunch of research, and he often does do research specifically around health topics. And what he found was that pretty much all the anti-soy rhetoric you will find specifically on the Internet uh, can be traced back to the Weston A. Price Foundation. So it's a really long article, but it, it appears that the stuff about soy, if you just keep digging deeper and deeper, that there's not really much solid evidence that it's not good for you. Uh, and on the other side, there's plenty of evidence that it is actually quite good for you. Uh, just looking at that it's you know a, one of the most common foods um, among among Eastern cultures where they are in general way healthier than we are. So uh, I don't believe that it's dangerous. Uh, however, because it is a food that has this controversy around it, I tend not to eat it every day. I just don't want to do that. Uh, if there were, it doesn't matter what it is. If there was any kind of food that is controversial, I'm generally not going to try to eat that food every day just in case I am wrong in thinking that it's fine. So a couple times a month, maybe once a week, have a soy product. When I do, I make sure that it is minimally processed. And tempeh, which you mentioned uh, specifically, is one that I consider minimally processed in addition to being fermented, which is another health benefit usually. Uh, Tofu, I think pretty minimal processing there. Soy milk, minimal processing. But almost all other forms, other than raw soybeans or steamed soybeans, they, it is shows up in more processed form. So like when you see it in fake meats, uh, very often that's a soy protein isolate. And those you definitely do not want to be eating very much of. So that's that's kind of what I know about soy. I haven't gone that deep into the research. Uh, so so what about the, the GMO question, part of the question? Because a lot of soy is, is GMO. I don't know what you call it. When, <laughs> it is a GMO product. Yeah. Um, but it's not that hard to find organic tofu and tempeh things like this when it when it's more of the less minimally or when it's less processed like tofu or tempeh then you can normally find an, an organic version and of course if, it, if it's organic then it's gmo free yeah i think you're right about that uh, it definitely seems like i've never or almost never been in a situation where you see non-organic tofu but there's no organic option in the store uh, and sometimes it is that way with other products but for some reason it seems that tofu there's always uh, an, an organic version you can get uh, and as we've said before, or, organic implies non-GMO. So if you if it is organic, then you also know that it's not GMO. Uh, so yeah, you just get organic, and it solves that problem. Uh, and it's not that much more expensive, and 
seems to be totally fine. So I no non non GMO is not uh, or has nothing to do with or, or GMO has nothing to do with uh, why <laughs> it's not a concern for me when I buy soy products. Um, I, I guess for someone who's criticizing soy, they might point out that there is a lot of soy that is non GMO or is GMO. Sorry, uh, and and that's true. And yeah, and in in the fake meat products, because that's not often organic soy. Uh, it's quite possible that it is the GMO soy, and that's not good. But those fake meat products we've said aren't good for you anyway. So right. uh, that's, that's a different argument, really. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so next one is from Pauline, and she says, "Thank you for your protein list. I am wheat intolerant, meaning whenever I eat wheat, it just sits on my body and I stack on the weight." Yes, I think that is the actual the clinical definition of wheat intolerant. <laughs> it says whenever you eat wheat, it just sits on your body and you stack on the weight. Uh, what grains can you recommend? Okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess when I hear people say that they're wheat intolerant these days or gluten intolerant, I tend to ascribe a lot of that to the fact that that's what everybody's talking about and that there might even be, you know, we've talked about the power of uh, suggestion and the placebo effect and that, I don't know, if you start to think you're wheat intolerant, I think you might be able to make yourself wheat intolerant. I think that's quite possible. Uh but maybe maybe a little bit out there in that respect. Um, so, I mean, are there other grains? First of all, you don't have to eat other grains. No one says you have to eat grains to be healthy. So you could just avoid grains entirely if you don't want to eat wheat. But if you're doing it because you like to have – you like the taste of grains or the texture or the versatility that they kind of add to your diet, like pasta is a really easy dish to make. And if you don't have wheat, then it's hard. Um, so there are other things I can recommend. They're not technically grains, a lot of them. Um, rice, of course, is one that's a gluten-free grain, and it's good. It does come with the arsenic issue that we've talked about. Talked about a little bit. I don't know when it was two episodes ago. Um, I mean, quinoa is not technically a grain; it's a seed, it's a pseudo grain, but that works as a grain in most dishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're trying, you're looking for alternative pastas, you can get quinoa pasta. Often, there's a lot of corn in there. Usually, it's organic corn, so it's non-GMO. Um, you can get pasta made out of beans these days, and that's getting expensive, sure. Uh, but I think it is getting cheaper. Or I mean, sorry, I mean, when we start talking about that stuff, we're talking about more expensive stuff, sure. But the prices are seeming to come down a little bit on that stuff. That's what I mean there. Mm-hmm. Um, rice pasta, of course. Rice pasta, yep, is a classic. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, those are those are about the only grains that I eat. There are other grains that are wheat, like bulgur wheat is one. But it sounds like uh, being wheat intolerant, you would not want that. So. I don't know. Do you eat any more grains than that, Doug? I mean, there are all those ancient grains. There's the amaranth and uh, teff, I think, and the other one that is wheat. What's it called? Begins with an S. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll try to look it up. We're talking, but yeah. Anyway, um, well, you know, I think you're you're poking fun this question a little bit, but I think it's it's a good question because a lot of people assume that if when you go plant based, you do have to eat a lot of gluten, a lot of you know, pasta and things like that. So, you know, I, I think that uh, as as more and more people are trying to go gluten free, this is this is a good question to ask. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I mean, of course, there are now there are gluten free breads. There are there's gluten free beer that omission beer. Yep, you've talked about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so for I, I don't think it's all that difficult to get gluten free options um, that would would be good substitutes for traditional plant-based meals right right spelt is the spelt pasta that I'm talking about which actually is wheat it's some ancient very ancient form of wheat so that would not solve pauline's problem here um 
yeah, so that's that's our take on that. I don't want to spend too too long on saying the same thing, but uh, yeah, you don't need to eat that many grains. There are plenty of good alternative grains available, and more than ever, you can get alternative grain pasta uh, and other things like that. So, not all that big of an issue. But but we are not scared of gluten, right? No, I think gluten is totally fine. I mean, I haven't really noticed ever anything. And when I I did try to go off of it for a few days, like a week to 10 days a while ago, several years ago, and I didn't notice anything. I noticed no difference at all. So then I came back on it and was totally fine. Uh, So that's a good test to do. I mean, if you are curious about this, be as fair as possible and try not to to sway the test one way or another, but but go off of it for 7, 10 days. Notice what happens when you go off of it and notice what happens when you go back on it. Uh, and see if and, and there's a thing to, good thing to try with any type of food. So, okay. so on on that note, let's go to the next question from Patrick. Okay, Patrick says I've been finding your program very helpful, but yesterday I got my wisdom teeth removed. Oh no, that's not Patrick. Nope, that's not Patrick. That's Abby. But it is the next question. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, so wisdom teeth removed. Not been able to keep exercising. So, although I've kept on trying to eat my fruits and vegetables in liquid form, I've also been indulging in some plant-based ice cream. I'm worried that my endurance will plummet. How do you get back on track after surgeries or injuries? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be too worried about your endurance plummeting just because you had some plant-based ice cream. Surely, if you don't do anything, if you don't do exercising for a week or potentially longer, then, yes, you're going to lose some fitness but it's just it's just how it is. I mean, you lose fitness. You you, you can try to do something different if you have to. Um, it, like if you're hurt and you can't run, can you still cycle? Could you still swim? Could you do pool jogging or aqua jogging and still get an aerobic or cardiovascular workout without hurting the muscle that actually hurts you? Uh, so, I mean, yeah, do what you can to stay fit. Eat healthily. I think if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, then you're you're doing a pretty good job of that already. I think you will minimize the loss of fitness that you have just by eating well. Uh, and I don't think that having some plant-based ice cream is going to hurt you one little bit. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's 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 mentally tough to get back on track. But, I mean, if you can just tell yourself, okay, it's going to take me a month now to get back to where I was because I took two or three weeks off uh, and just be okay with that and kind of just reset, then I think that's that's the best way you can deal with it. Yeah. I, don't, I think you should ease back into it. You know, a lot of people – especially coming off an injury if they've taken two weeks completely off and they try to jump right back in. I think, you know, it's important to ease back in with a lower mileage than you would have and then you, what you had before um, and maybe even fewer days running per week. Uh, and then, you know, but you don't need to worry too much about the 10% rule. You should definitely start with that lower mileage, but you don't have to start completely over. Um, of course, you're not going to lose all your endurance and all your strength in just a few weeks. So, um, you know, if you ease back into it and you carefully build back up, then then you should be fine. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so don't listen to that ten percent rule. I mean, it's not a bad rule. And this, of course, is the rule that says you you should only add mileage at a rate of ten percent per week and no more than that. Uh, and, and it's maybe when you reach a certain point, it's a good rule of thumb. But when you're below like what your baseline mileage is, the mileage that you typically have been comfortable with, you can generally increase very quickly to get back to that baseline. Uh, so that's what you're referring to there, Doug. And one more thing reassuring, hopefully, for Abby is that I found that with endurance, and I don't, I don't know about the scientific basis for this, but I would imagine for sure that there is one, um, that with these types of sports, and I'm not talking about fast-twitch muscle sports like weightlifting or whatever else, CrossFit. I mean, that stuff, you lose that really quickly when you don't use it. 
And it takes you a while to build it back up. It takes For me, it takes as long as it did the original time to rebuild it. With things like running, where it's more of a cardiovascular thing and maybe a lot more about your brain having learned to run. And I, I truly do believe that running is a skill that your brain learns and that when you run for six or eight or ten years, you are way different as a runner even once you lose that fitness. Like if you take a year off from running completely or any exercise after being a runner for ten years – Yes, you're going to lose that surface-level fitness, and sure, you're going to be huffing and puffing when you go back out for a run again, but you've learned how to run. Your brain, from all these steps you've taken, has learned how to efficiently recruit muscle fibers and propel you forward, and I really do believe you don't lose that. So I, and the example that I've given people before is if you take someone who's run marathons and you just let them get out of shape and then one day tell them they have to go gun to their head, run 10 miles – you know, they can get it done. It's going to be very painful for sure because they haven't done anything in a year or more. But if you just took a, an average person off the street and said, okay, you've never run before. Now I want you to go run 10 miles. I think there, many people will not be able to do it. They will just they will collapse from exhaustion. Uh, but I think, I think having done it for a while, you kind of learn that skill. And I think that's not something that goes away because you get hurt and take a month or a year off. Right. So there you go. There you go. Okay, next one is from Patrick, and this is more on the grain, gluten, wheat question note. He says, hey, Matt, do you have any recipes for homemade breads? Looking forward to the transition to no meat. Um, so I don't really have any recipes for breads. I don't make bread ever, but I have in the past at different times. Never really got into it as like baking as a hobby type thing. Um, so, no, I do not have bread recipes, but they're very easy to find, and I, I don't – really know of anyone who I, who's I could suggest. There's a really good gluten-free bread from Heather at Yum Universe because all her stuff is is gluten-free and her cookbook also called, I think it's called the Yum Universe Cookbook, is a gluten-free cookbook and we have it. It was very good. I, I didn't use it because it was gluten-free, but we found it and we're eating from it and enjoying it. And there's a bread there that I was surprised at how good it was for being gluten-free. It was made out of nuts and seeds and things. It was very, very good bread. Um, but you could also look up how do you make real French bread, real Italian bread? I don't know. It, it's fun to do that sort of thing for me. I haven't really gotten that into it, but the internet surely has plenty of good examples for you. I've never made bread. Never made bread? Never made bread. There's not much difference between vegan bread and non-vegan bread. I mean, if you go to the almost every supermarket, if you go get their store-baked stuff, the stuff where you know they, they probably get the recipe or the, the dough sent in frozen and then they – heat it up in their store and they call that store break store baked bread uh that almost always has eggs in it or like milk powder in it or all these non-vegan things but real traditional bread typically doesn't have that stuff in it so when you look up bread recipes you don't really usually have to specify vegan bread recipes uh I mean, of course you need to look at them and make sure that this particular bread isn't calling for eggs or i don't know maybe i don't know what goes sometimes the yeast starter they use something that is non-vegan i think maybe it's egg not totally sure about that, um, but it's just you know honeys and breads for sometimes for sure. So you got to watch out for that. But it's it's just not something that I think of as a food that is particularly hard to make vegan. So uh, pretty much anyone who makes bread should be able to have some good vegan vegan bread recipes for you. Great. All right. So are we last one already? I think so. Good. Nice quick episode. All right. Last one is from Matthew. He says I race bikes at the cat. <laughs> at the category two level okay all right and i've been vegan for almost six months now uh, i've been following your direction and, and have been really enjoying this life change 
I've been feeling very good off the bike, but on the bike, I feel just a step or two off of where I usually am. Uh, I try not to worry about it, as I know my plant-based lifestyle is better for me and the environment, but I'm starting to wonder how can I feel better on the bike. Okay, good question, Matt, uh, or Matthew. And so the first thing I was going to say before I realized that you've been at this for six months now is sometimes that is natural, that when you change your diet, um, that it just might be that, that you're taking a while to adjust and you're going to feel slower, more sluggish as you adjust. Um, I often tell people when they, especially athletes, when they switch to this sort of diet, and this could apply particularly to you, Matthew, but um, it, it probably applies more to someone who's newer at this than six months, uh, is make sure that you didn't lose too many calories when you made the transition. So a lot of people, if they just uh, kind of eat the same stuff they did eat, but have removed the meat from it and the dairy from it and the eggs from it and just kind of filled in that space on the plate with vegetables or something starchy, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not going to, you probably lost maybe 20% of your calories if you did that. So that, that could explain why someone would feel sluggish, especially an athlete who really, you know, does have caloric needs that they got to hit. Uh, that, that could explain why you feel sluggish. And I mean, that's one reason a lot of people choose this diet and have success on it for weight loss because you can kind of still fill up with the, what feels like the same amount of food in your stomach in terms of volume, but it's lower, less in, lower in calories than if it were that same volume of food, but were animal products, which are more calorically dense. Um, so it, I, I doubt having been at this thing for six months now, you, that's your problem. You probably have, have adjusted and you're probably eating a similar, similar amount of calories. If it's fewer calories, you can, you're, it's kind of hopefully compensating for that by being higher in nutrients uh, than what you were eating before. So that's all good. Um, so the question is to why do you actually not feel as good as you did on the bike? Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not afraid to say, and I don't think you should be afraid to consider that, that maybe something about this just isn't working for you. I don't know if I would agree with the statement that a plant-based diet isn't for everyone or that everybody's different and everybody needs a different diet. Uh, I don't really know how I feel about that. But, you know, he says, I'm trying not to worry about it because I know my plant-based lifestyle is better for me. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's good to have that confidence going into it. But I think at some point, you do need to look at it and say, uh, is this better for me? Or is, is it something here that's going on that's, that I'm doing that is different that's making me worse than before? Uh, I mean, people say, you know, Brendan Brazier, of course, has had tremendous success uh, as a plant-based athlete, and that's the diet he has promoted because he thinks that's what enabled him to become a pro. But if after six months you're having trouble with it, you know, maybe maybe in your case it's not making you a better athlete. Could still be better for you long-term, and probably is. Definitely is better for the environment long-term. Uh, but perhaps your athletic stuff has gone slightly down from it. I, I don't really know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be close to that as a possibility that could happen. Uh, so I don't know. That's that's sort of my take. And I don't. If that was the case, I guess you'd have a decision to make. How how important is it to you to feel as good as you ever did on the bike? Uh, and is that more important than what you assume is a long term benefit and environmental benefit of this diet? So that's that's my take there. Uh, I don't I don't know the answer. I mean, without really talking to you, Matthew, about all the different things that you're doing and what could what you could try to still stay plant based and get back your old fitness. Um, but, you know, that, that's where I stand. Doug, what do you think about all that? Uh, you know, I have a slightly less pessimistic approach <laughs> or response. Um, okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be pessimistic and say that's the problem. I'm just saying don't have blinders on and, and assume that because a plant-based diet is the right choice for you that anything that goes wrong could not possibly be due to your diet, right? I mean, right. you've got to I, – I just, I just – I like to be skeptical and remain 
open-minded about things. Yeah. But go ahead. Well, what I would what I would suggest is that probably when you went plant-based, you adjusted the food that goes around your workout, so before your workout, during, and after. Um, and, you know, it's possible that you just fell right into, and most people do, a, a pretty standard, you know, toast with nut butter or whatever it is that you're having um, around your workout. And so I, I would really start there. I would focus on changing that up, experimenting with different different foods before and recovery foods for when you get back on the bike. Um, and then whatever you're, whatever you're having while you're on the bike itself. So, you know, I think that's where I would start. If it's really, if you're feeling great when you're not on the bike and everything kind of changes when you, when you do start riding, then, you know, then maybe what you're having right before the workout and during is, is contributing to not feeling as good. Yeah, that certainly could be, uh, a lot of people, their, their before workout, meals and during workout meals happen to have been vegan anyway, even if they weren't vegan. Um, so it's possible, Matthew, that you didn't change anything around about your around workout routine. But if you did, just as a result of the, you know, it could be that you got into this and then you started getting into those spirulina bites as a, as your during workout thing. Uh, you know, and this led you down a path that actually changed what you were eating before and during your workouts, even though maybe you didn't even have to. Or maybe you changed that stuff way more than you had to uh, because you know, it just, you wanted to try this different stuff. But in fact, what you used to do was pretty close to vegan. If that's the case, go back to what you were doing and just make the slight adaptation to get it to be vegan and see if eating those food, same foods around your workouts gets you back to where you were. I think that's a good suggestion, Doug. Great. Okay. So good luck, Matthew. Hope it works out for you. Would, would hate to see somebody switch diets, of course, but, uh, I don't know. That's, that's what we have to say there. So great questions, everybody. Um, I have nothing else to, to say here, Doug. Episode 101, uneventful. Uneventful indeed. But, you know, if you have questions, you can definitely keep submitting them. We've gotten a few audio questions. Yes, we have, including a new fan who was audio, who just called the other day to say that she was a fan. Yeah, on her run, person. right? Was, yeah. Yeah, while she was running. Yeah, I appreciate it. She's called a few times now, yeah. So please call... Uh, Ask questions. If you if you call and ask a question, we will play it on the air if it's a good one and your voice sounds normal. Uh, what is it, Doug? Number? It is 951-666-3281. That's 951-NO-MEAT-1. There you go. All right. Good. Uh, good. Episode. Like it. And thank you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye.